Are you taking a reactive or proactive approach to your taxes? Do you wait until the year is over and hope for the best when tax time comes around? Is your business taking accurate tax deductions and receiving all the tax credits you deserve? Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. Today, we will answer these questions and many more. So sharpen your pencil and take some notes. Now, here is your host, Marcelino Dodge. Good day. Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge, Enrolled Agent. We're up to show number 53. Appreciate the worldwide audience and being across uh, many platforms as well, like iHeartRadio and Apple Podcasts. We will be also loading a video later of this uh, program up onto our YouTube page. So certainly we appreciate all the visits there and appreciate uh, for you to be able to uh, subscribe to our channel. We invite all of our listeners to a future mutual exploration session where we examine tax planning and year-round services that we offer because we want to keep you out of, out of trouble, which is what my guest Eric does is help get you out of trouble today. We want to keep you even from needing Eric's services, but this is still an important topic we're going to talk about today. So we're here to help you to pay as little tax as possible. Always reach out to me, success at cashtracksfinancial.com or give me a call 844-394-4287. And please visit my brand new website, cashtracksfinancial.com. Today, we're going to move on. We talked about this a few months back about IRS enforcement, but things have updated and changed a little bit then in the last several months. Uh, that's why I'm calling this letters and collections are moving quickly. And that's why I'm having uh, Eric Green, an attorney, once again, visit me today because uh, this is a very important topic. And if you're a little bit behind or owe some back taxes, Eric is the man that can help you. Uh, he's a partner in Green and Scholars LLC, a boutique tax firm. Uh, Maine with offices, Connecticut and New York, practicing in civil and criminal tax representation before the Department of Justice, uh, Tax Division, the IRS and State Departments of Revenue. He lectures on tax topics, including uh, with the Insightful Accountant, CCH, NAEA, NATP and, and other societies. He served uh, as an adjunct faculty at the Connecticut Law School and also as an author and lecturer of the CCH IRS Representation Certificate Program. He founded the Tax Rep LLC, which coaches accountants and attorneys and enrolled agents like myself on building their own representative practices and has a great weekly podcast called the Tap Tax Rep Network Podcast. And certainly as well as the author of the Accountant's Guide to IRS Collections. And I could go on and on about Eric here, but he's just a great man and a great, uh, great guest here. And we really appreciate you joining us again, Eric. So how you been doing lately? Uh, doing great. Um, busy, very busy, but um, busy is good. It beats the alternative. Oh yeah, definitely beats the alternative there. So uh, there's, I think there's still kind of, you may, may know this a little bit, have more handle on this than I do, but it seems to me that there's still some people that think because everything's running slow with the IRS that, and letters are taken forever and you're taking forever even to get non-enforcement actions done that eh, maybe the IRS really isn't uh, doing much when it comes to going and collecting back taxes though. So what, are you, what have you been been seen happening well they um they flipped the switch on the automated levy program uh june 15th so in august we began seeing the first wave of the automated levies come out um so we've been very busy 
what we um, what we now know is January third, uh, Monday, January third. Um, trust fund assessments are going to go out against employers who haven't paid their payroll taxes. So the government has sort of been holding off because of COVID and other stuff. In June, again, levy program, lien program, the automated switch was flipped. But for payroll taxes, uh, there's personal responsibility for the owners and the officers who don't, you know, who don't, uh, who fail to see that that those payroll taxes um, are properly accounted and paid over. It's uh, called the trust fund recovery penalty. If you're interested, it's under code section 6672. It is a penalty applied to the responsible individuals. Um, they've held off on that. They have told me on my podcast, January 3rd, all bets are off. They've been given the green light by the commissioner and they briefed Congress and got the green light from Congress. So they're going to start moving forward on the trust fund assessment. So I think in about a week, we're going to get a lot busier. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, uh, something aside from that, because something that I wasn't very big on back during COVID and actually advised my clients against it was the allowance when they said, well, you could not pay all of your your payroll taxes in 20 or 21 or whatever the time period was. Cause I advised my clients against doing that. Right. Uh, and so uh, do you see some issues arising with the people having to now get caught up on some of these payroll taxes they didn't pay because the government had said you can delay paying them? Yeah. Well, you know, the, what, the, the issue with the, def- there was the deferral under the CARES Act. You could defer mm-hmm. your 20 payroll taxes and pay half of it back in 21 and balance in 22. The, the gambit was, that employers, you know, things would come back. So 2021 would be back to normal. Let's just get mm-hmm. through this 2020 COVID situation. It'll go away by then. And, um, you know, then you'll start paying it back. Well, the, uh, the IRS told me 2021, they have already identified a lot of employers that have not been making any of those deposits. And so the decision was made to wait till January 2022. Mm-hmm. Because now they'll know if you're in if you're in violation. Because I mean, theoretically, half gets paid in 2021. It doesn't have to be evenly. You could do it all on the 31st, right? I mean, there could be some massive deposits that are made Friday mm-hmm. that um, you know now now people are caught up. But if that doesn't happen by Monday, they're going to unleash on those folks. So um, companies that are struggling. I think are going to get pushed over the edge. Mm -hmm. Um, And for those people that are behind, the best advice I would give you is to literally reach out to the government and try to start, you know, you can work out a deal. You might be uncollectible. You can do an offer and compromise, even on an open company, even on payroll taxes, you can do an offer and compromise. Um, So if you're in a business that has been seemingly permanently damaged, from the the you know the economic impact of the coronavirus, um, you know the best advice is to be proactive. Don't wait for it to get to assign to a revenue officer to come knock on your door, um, because usually by then they're not in the mood to cut you some slack. They're 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 there to try to collect. So I think that now would be a good time to meet with your professional, reach out to the IRS submit a financial, start working out an arrangement, and that could arrangement to be, I can't pay. 
You know, it's perfectly okay to be uncollectible, but it, the burden is on you to go to the government and show them that. Yes, definitely. That's that. Those are all the issues I wanted my clients to avoid. So, and, and all. Like if, yeah, and if you could pay, if you could pay, yeah. Why yeah. defer? Yeah. I, I, we advise same thing. And when people call say, what do you think? I'm like, can you pay it? Oh yeah, yeah, we can pay it. Well then pay it. Don't, I, I would not defer because I don't know what's going to happen in a year. I don't know how long this is going to last. I, you know, I, you know, I, the, I, <laughs> For businesses that struggle, my advice is pay the payroll tax, pay the sales tax, mm-hmm. right? I have bank, I know bankruptcy lawyers that can screw everybody else, but um, but you can't go bankrupt on, on payroll tax and sales tax. There are some states where they won't compromise on the sales tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, some states like Connecticut don't have any statute of limitations. So if you get behind with payroll tax or sales tax, you could end up dying owing that money 50 years from now. Um, there, you know, so Connecticut, I mean, Connecticut is brutal. Um, so my, my best advice is pay the payroll and pay the sales tax and, you know, the rest, you know, the rest can be dealt with. If you are behind in payroll and sales tax, you can deal with it, but you got to, I would recommend aggressively dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned about maybe a lot of, uh, deposits coming in on Friday. I'm wondering, or I'm scared actually. Because uh, I've had some problems for the first time this year with EFTPS making a federal a payment through the system. This is the first year I've had a problem doing that, and I'm wondering if if if, if do people do make a lot of payments or schedule them? Could the system crash on Saturday if there's on this week if uh, if that does happen? Because I had a payment for a federal a federal payment that the IRS said they never got, but I had the receipt from EFTPS saying they got it, they had it, confirmation number and everything. And it left your bank and it left the bank, right? The weird part about us, it didn't leave the bank, but I had the confirmation that it was supposed to. It was weird. Well, I think one of the silver linings, if there is one for coronavirus, is, you know, the IRS right now, uh, or at least prior to coronavirus, you couldn't do a, a web, a Zoom or, or WebEx or any of that. They, there was no virtual Mm-hmm. Um, they would not allow you to uh, send them um, memory sticks with, with, with documents. They had to be hard copy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the, um, they will only allow you to e-file the last couple of years. Why? I could e-file five years ago. Why, isn't, why don't they just leave that open? Because mm-hmm. they can't handle the mail and they can't handle these late returns being filed and get them processed. If there's a silver lining to this, I think it's really pointed out the issue, the structural issues for a virtual IRS mm-hmm. and the feedback I'm getting informally is they are starting to rethink how they do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, why do they have to mail me however many gazillion notices I got in the mail? Why can't I have a, like a, a version of a Dropbox? And they just put it in there. I mean, I know they're probably keeping the post office afloat, but uh, you know, they, you know, um, why don't they just leave e-file open, constantly back, even for the late returns? Yeah, it'll be late. So what? Why can't we e-file it? I, you know, things like that because now, you know they always have. Oh, you got to go in hard copy. Well, now they can't process it. 
Mm-hmm. So I, like I have clients that we can't do an offer. They haven't opened the mail. They can't get into compliance. It's a nightmare. Um, and they know it's a nightmare. I, I mean, the official statements are they're opening all the mail. They are, they are more than happy to admit they're opening, wink, wink, nod, nod. They're tearing open the envelope that they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're just not doing anything with the contents. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's, it's really kind of, um, yeah. it's creating a lot of headaches. Well, that relates back to something that Nina Olson and I talked about a few months ago about the customer service problem that the IRS has. And the reason I, I think about this is because uh, part of what we're talking about here, opening the mail is that if they had enough funding to fund the customer service area, make it easier for people to pay their taxes, they probably people would probably pay their taxes. But yet they're always talking about, and even in the bill that they're talking about, they're talking about increasing enforcement. And it's like, well, wait a minute, if you help people pay their taxes, wouldn't it be better to help people to provide better service with that? Uh, yeah, well, you know what, I, I am all in favor of, of increasing enforcement, but it has to be well thought out. You know, mm-hmm. you know there is... I think there's a bit, little bit of fraud on the brain going on over at the IRS. Everyone is, everyone is involved with fraud. Everything is criminal. And, um, you know, on the one hand, for people like me, it's nice. Mm-hmm. They're generating a lot of work. But it, it doesn't feel like they're focusing where they should be. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with you. If you can make compliance easier. And just let the people who want to comply, comply. You know, uh, I've been urging them to keep some of these changes they made. So for the audience who may not be you know, up on this, during COVID, um, they came out with IR 2020-248. And, and what, what it did, it made it much easier for taxpayers that wanted to pay their taxes to pay their taxes. So, for instance, um, you could always set up, call up and just set up a four-month payment plan. You didn't have to submit financials. It's called a short-term payment plan, four months. Mm-hmm. They expanded, they extended that to six months. The automated installment agreement that you could do right over the phone without a financial uh, used to be 100000 over 84 months, 100000 or less mm-hmm. over 84 months. They increased that to 250000 over the time on the, remaining on the collection statute. Mm-hmm. it's been great. We can just call up, set up payment plans and the taxpayer is done and out the door. They're not spending a lot of money on us. We're not mm-hmm. submitting financial packages. The whole thing is not going super slow. Um, I, and, and to their credit, they're looking at all this. They, they, they've told me they are pulling the numbers. They want to see how is this working? Is it, you know, is it really beneficial? Um, I'm hopeful that that stuff will remain. And I think that if you can let people who want to pay just pay and who want to file, just file, Mm -hmm. I don't, I would not do anything to discourage that. And now you can focus your enforcement people where they're needed. Mm -hmm. The high income earners that can't be bothered to file, Uh, you know, all of the things that, you know, TIG to flag that, which are the real abuses um, of, of 50 million taxpayers in trouble. 
mm-hmm. maybe you've got one fifth that fall into that bucket. So maybe you're looking at 20%. The rest are people who are struggling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think if you, to the extent we can get people, uh, make it easier for them an on-ramp in to set up an agreement or prove that they're uncollectible and, and do all of those things, it, it's just better for everyone. And, and the government wastes less resources chasing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, making it easier definitely be just be fabulous, especially now even that you tell the taxpayer, well, here's a phone number to call the IRS and sometime and that's actually I should say over 50% of the time they you don't even get somebody or you get a hang up or courtesy hang up. I think that's what they call it. But they anyway, call it a courtesy <laughs> hang up. Congratulations, we're gonna hang up on you. Yeah. So <laughs> so anyway, it's just uh it's just getting to that point, getting them to understand that, yeah, there are, the, I'd like, 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 like you mentioned there, the, like about the 10 million who you should go after. You got these other ones who do want to pay, who want to get it caught up and make it easier for them to pay, work with them to get it done and then move on to these other ones and get to the ones that are really are probably more being evasive when it comes to, uh, to these taxes there uh you mentioned earlier you mentioned on a previous about how chuck reddick is really a law and order guy and so he's not going to let this uh, really slide anymore and no i mean and, and that attitude i think you're seeing filter down they're they're much more aggressive criminally um they're getting much more aggressive in the collections area um you know and, and you know to chuck's credit i mean i think that overall that's good but they really, the, what the pandemic kind of did, they were already weak in customer service. I think the pandemic and the remote working and everything else um, had sort of pulled the blanket off of that. And it's, it's now very um, open that mm-hmm. the government's got real problems. They got staffing issues. Um, they need 600 more people to just process the mail. Oh. Um, you know, literally to take what they ripped open mm-hmm. and do something with it. Um, and, and so the, um, you know, it, it's, we, we, we need more bodies mm-hmm. in, in the, in just the, the processing areas. Um, because because that, that's, that's the big frustration is you can send something in. Mm-hmm. You have no idea where it is. Yes. And, and, you know, I, I know that it, it, it was very in, in politic, in politic, but <laughs> the taxpayer advocate came out and said, don't call us about the unopened mail. There's nothing we can do about it. And, you know, at the first I read it, I'm like, that's a great attitude. But then I thought, and you think about it, I'm like, well, I kind of get that. There's, you know, so where is my thing? I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's in Kansas City sitting in, a, in one of 5,000 bins. You know, uh, it, it's really, um, it, it, it is problematic. Mm-hmm. It's exacerbating a lot of problems. But, and, and I will tell you, so fr- from the takeaway, I think, for the professionals and, and taxpayers too, if um, given the current situation where they're not opening the mail, everyone is working remotely. The IRS, they're, they're just like us. They're working at home. They have childcare coverage issues. They're, they're terrified of school shutdown 
the lockdowns and the kids being all, I mean, they're, they live in the same world we do. So here's what uh, my, my advice to my tax rep members, which has always been this way, but it, I think is very timely now. Whatever you're doing with the government, and, and I mean this across the board, it doesn't matter. It could be submitting documents uh, in response to an audit notice. It can be appeals, the appeals hearing. It can be an offer and compromise. It can be in a spouse, doesn't matter. When you submit, documents to be reviewed. Keep in mind who you're dealing with. Again, working remotely, they don't have easy access to physical files. Uh, and, and I bring this up, Marcelino, because I, I've had some accounts where they want us to take over the tax court case. Well, what happened at appeals? They wanted these documents. We gave them to the auditor. I'm like, well, did you resend them to the, the appeals officer? That's not our problem. We gave them to the auditor. I got news for you. It's your problem, right? And, and what I've been advising our members to do is look, whatever you, here's my advice. If you want a good outcome, this isn't about being right or wrong. If you want a good outcome, whatever you want, that appeals officer to see, or that offer specialist to see, or the innocent spouse investigator to see, had better be in that package. Uh, I had a senior partner who's now deceased, but he told me years and years and years ago, Eric, the goal when you go to appeals, and it's not just appeals, it could be any at any one of these areas. The goal is to make their agreeing with you easy. So you want to do your write-up so they can literally, he said, sometimes I'll go, when you do a FOIA later, he said, my, what I wrote up is actually, they just verbatim took it and used it in their decision." They have all the documents they need in front of them. Don't think that they're going to go start looking for something you gave to the auditor. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. You know, again, think about it. They're off-site. It's not easy access. They're trying to do the best they can. So today, more than ever, when you're dealing with the person on the other side, Give them everything you need. So I'll give you an example. In the offer and compromise realm, what we're seeing a lot of now, you need to be in compliance to do an offer, which means you filed at least the last six years of returns. So there are people that are calling, you know, we mailed in the 17 return. We then mailed in our offer. They returned the offer because we're not in compliance. And here's why. No one's done anything with the 17 return. Mm -hmm. It's sitting off somewhere. Here's what we're doing. Let's say you file some missing returns or I make up some estimated tax payments to get into compliance. When we submit the package in the cover letter, I'll say the taxpayers filed the missing 2017 return. We're not sure if it will be processed yet. So we've enclosed a signed copy of it in the package for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. The estimated tax payments, we have copies of them online that we made in the package for you. The stuff we gave to the offer specialist, not because now we're at appeals, here are, the, here are copies of what we provided. Mm-hmm. Now, should I have to do that? No. And yes, it's a waste of a little bit of paper, but here's what I can tell you. It's easier for them when they're overwhelmed to say, oh, you're not in compliance, goodbye. Return mm-hmm. it, and now I have to have a fight to try to get it reinstated. Just give it to them. Yeah, I mean, just, just give it to them. But if that pa- if the package, whatever it is these days, exam, appeal, whatever, make sure you send 
every piece of paper you want them to see and don't be afraid to make it dummy proof. So um, if you're a CPA, you'll know what I'm talking about immediately because you've done public accounting. But if you're an EA or an attorney or, or just a taxpayer listening to this, the financial form, like in an offer, it's a 433. Mm -hmm. uh, with an audit, it would be the auditor's letter with their IDR, their information document request. That's your lead sheet. Behind it, I would literally, we tab. Exhibit A, B, C, D, and it's all tabbed behind it. Could I just send it in a three-inch stack of crap? Of course I could. What's the likelihood that they're going to flip through, miss something, not mm -hmm. recognize something for what it is? Give them everything, make it dummy-proof. And, and I'm, I'm harping on this because today it's more important than ever mm -hmm. because you're dealing with, again, remote work from an IRS that has never been exactly the most uh, motivated and driven body of employees. Um, and, and for them, they may be willing to go find stuff. They just can't get to it mm -hmm. because they can't physically get into the office. They don't know where the file is. It, it's, um, it, it's, it's a bit of a mess. So the greatest advice I think right now for anyone dealing with the government, if you can do something online, do it online. Mm -hmm. um, if you're going to be sending paperwork, if you can fax it directly to them, do that. Don't mail it. Because if you mail it, they have to wait for a day that they can get access to the office and get in and do it. Um, and lastly, whatever you're trying to do with them, make sure you get, even if it's redundant, give them everything they need at that moment to make the decision in your favor. Mm -hmm. So basically, if you've given it to one officer, make sure you got another copy for, for someone else. That way... Basically, you got, okay, here's, here's the copy for you. And then, oh, wait a minute, we got to go over here now. Well, here's a complete copy over here for you. Because basically, like some of the IRS computer systems, they don't necessarily talk to each other. Right. No. And, um, you know, you can get to somebody who, who is going to help you. Or, I mean, I've had this where appeals officer retired in the middle of the appeal. Oh, my. Now we get assigned to somebody else. And that person's like, okay, what's going on? It's a lot easier if I can say, walk them through verbally, here's what happened. Let me send you the package and, and I can send the correspondence over to them. So, so we have a document management system. So everything we send is electronically there. Mm -hmm. So if Eric never comes in again, my law partner can go in on this case and see, okay, I can see what's happened. This is what he sent, review it and literally pick up and carry on. Mm -hmm. um, you certainly want to keep copies of whatever you said. These days, do not send anything that is not certified. You need to prove you sent it because Lord knows they're not going to open it and do anything with it anytime soon. You really have to think strategically to cover yourself. Mm -hmm. I have to prove I sent it in. Like you said, the EFTPS confirmation. Now, the money didn't go, so it really wasn't paid. But if they want to hit you for penalties, you can say, oh, yeah, excuse me, no. Right? We tried. Your system is screwed up. We're happy to, you know, we'll make the payment, fix it, but we're not paying the penalties. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, um, you kind of just, I think if you can embrace the fact that the government is struggling with this um, and consider that when you're dealing with them and responding, you're going to get to a much better, happier outcome. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's kind of always the way, I mean, I've tried to do it anyway myself and trying to just think about, let's just make it as easy for them as possible to, to get the result that we want. 
right. if, even if we have to, as you say, as you mentioned, make it dummy proof, just point out each little item here as to what's enclosed. This is what it's for. Uh, in addition to just in general, trying to make sure that it's done there. Now, part of the part of this too. Now, I, we, you talked about this other part here one time on a on one of your podcasts, and I just wanted to see how does how's this fitting in? Is it, is this part mainly when it comes to audits? When like uh, the auditor, I'm guess because I guess it would be the auditor that would like ask for like uh, QuickBooks files, electronic files for a business. Is that mainly in an audit when that comes in? Yeah, I don't. Um... I generally don't have revenue officers in the collection arena asking for that stuff. Um, you know, they generally will ask, and the reason they want the electronic file, I mean, honestly, they want the audit trail. Right? They want to see the adjusting entries that were made with the idea that that would kind of, you know, tip them off mm-hmm. um, to something going on. Uh, so, and by the way, they're entitled to it. I mean, if you look at the revenue procedures, revenue rulings, the code, the regs, they're entitled to all paper as well as electronic files that support the numbers on the return. Um, so first of all, you want to look at that stuff, right? I mean, if you're if you're handling the audit, mm-hmm. you go in and look at the audit trail and see, see if there's something there to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we don't necessarily have to pick a fight over nothing. Yeah. You know, I try to tend to, you know, Pick my battles, not make everything a battle. Um, so certainly they're going to ask for that. Um, there is a way, and I am by I am not a QuickBooks expert. Mm-hmm. My understanding is there is a way to do a period copy. Mm-hmm. So if you just do an accountant's backup, it's all the way back to day one, everything. Mm-hmm. But you can create this period copy, which is the same thing, but only for the select period. Mm-hmm. I've had the IRS come back and say, you, you basically, you, you meddled with the file. And we said, no, we didn't. We gave you a period copy. That's all you're entitled to. They can threaten to summons and everything, the full blown set. They've never done it. I think because they know they have the information that the, the summons could be quashed. But, but anyway, for when it comes to the QuickBooks file, they are going to ask for the electronic file. And that's why they want us to go through. Yeah and see the adjustments. And, and again, that, that's a step that the practitioner who the representative should take and just see what, are the, what you always want to see what the auditor is going to see. You go in the, and be back when they would actually do the physical visit, the home office, you go to the home office and by the way, bring a measuring tape. Um, you, you have to go see in advance what the auditor is going to see. Um, you never want to be surprised or just wing it and hope it all works out in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what some taxpayers don't understand accurately is that yes, they can have those electronic files. Now I actually encountered this uh, at another time, as far as uh, being told that I haven't had a client that, that happened to me personally yet where they've asked for a QuickBooks file, but it, it's come up in education classes in the past. And there was an attorney that did a class and I went to in Vegas one time, and this was one of the subjects about these files. And because uh, QuickBooks is the most common one, one out there, that's, that's, he says, well, yeah, you got to give them to them. Even if it's whatever software it is, you got to give it to them. Now, if it's a certain software, that's not QuickBooks, you don't have to tell them how to read it. You just got to give them the, the file. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense then. If, if I don't have to tell them how to read it, they may not be able to read it, the data, because many of them are probably trained on QuickBooks is what I'm imagining. 
Well, they have they have in-house supposed experts who do this, but it would be it would be an argument for say, um, there's a third-party service bench. They will do your bookkeeping and send you. They send you spreadsheets. You mm-hmm. can't get the software. It's it's proprietary to them. So I, I've had this where the auditors say we want the backup. There is no backup. It's not our software. It's a mm-hmm. third-party vendor, and here here are our reports. And the auditors don't like that, but that, that you know, that so there, there is an argument for that. Um, plus, most people screw up their own QuickBooks. But anyway, um, yeah, so, not that we don't love the work, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so back on to about uh, notices of deficiencies. Have you been seeing those uh, picking up the last few months? Um, there was a slew of them at the beginning of the year. Uh, we're still getting them. You know, and, and these are generally the non-filers. What happens is the government, if it has enough third-party information, under code section 6020, will create a substitute for return. And that when they do that, they issue a notice of deficiency. And um, we had a ton of them at the beginning of the year. I've probably seen four or five in the last month. Hmm. So, yeah, no, the government's still going against mm-hmm. the non-filers. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's excellent. And we appreciate that. Now, another thought I was thinking about here is, do you anticipate maybe some of these notices or maybe more of these notices, or maybe you've had some of these notices in regards to cryptocurrency transactions? Oh, yeah. Well, so um, the government is making far greater use of data than they ever have before. And one of the big sources of data is from the John Doe summonses on Coinbase, Kraken, and Circle. So uh, if you've been watching the, uh, the social media feed of CI, they, they are seizing cryptocurrency left and right. And I was literally on the phone with Hank Key, who's the, uh, the director of uh, field enforcement. And Hank told me that he's, he's getting all annoyed. He's like, Everyone's talking about criminal. He's like, we we seize just as much, if not more, than they do. And um, what they're doing is they get the third-party information from the John Doe summons. So now they know who owns it, and they're going and they're taking that data mm-hmm. and they're running it against anyone who's filed an offer in the last two years, anyone who has requested to be uncollectible, uh, anyone who filed bankruptcy where the IRS was a creditor, a listed creditor. And they're, they're comparing to see, did they report the cryptocurrency that we know they not, that, that we know they own? Um, and the referrals, unofficially, the referrals from civil over to criminal are up 42%. Wow. Uh, yeah, you file, you file a, force, a false 433. You, you didn't disclose an asset. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'll, you know, my law partner will tell you if you live in the U.S., mm-hmm. he the only reason to have cryptocurrency is money laundering or gambling. I mean, there, there's nothing backing it up. Mm-hmm. Anything you can do with crypto, you can do with real money. Mm-hmm. So why would anyone? I mean, I understand like third world countries why it's useful. I mean, where the banking system is not something that you trust and all that, um, and so. You know, there's a um, the the government is is really pursuing the cryptocurrency hard. 
foreign assets, same thing. They got all the information from FACA. Um, they're doing the same thing. They're, they're, they have a database of that. They're looking at anyone who's done an offer to see if they've disclosed these mm-hmm. foreign assets that they have. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, collection cases do go criminal. And that's why I once again reminded my listeners just, well, just last week, in fact, when I did this program, the fact that, did you know if you're dealing in cryptocurrency, this is an IRS reportable event? Because so many people are using, well, you got places where you can go buy coffee that will take a cryptocurrency transaction or various other businesses and large, some large corporations that are accepting cryptocurrency for stuff. Yeah, and I mean, so, it's, um, it's effectively, it's, it's a security. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, it's no different than walking into the coffee shop and paying with IBM stock. You know, you have a realization event. You effectively sold it for the cash that you used mm-hmm. to pay for the coffee. So yeah, I mean you have you have effectively a scheduled, I, I believe a schedule D mm-hmm. uh, gain or loss, I guess theoretically. Um, no, it's um, but but again, if you ask my like you ask my law partner, you mm-hmm. ask the commissioner, well, these people are why are these people in it? Why wouldn't you just have cash? Right? And, and so there's there's a bias at the government, mm-hmm. of course, is mm-hmm. that you've got to, you have this for a reason, right? And it's usually because you think it's going to be unreported. And that's not true. And there are people that just, I mean, when I first heard about this, I thought the whole thing was stupid. Cryptocurrency, virtual currency. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I never put any money into it because I was like the, the dumbest thing I've ever heard of my entire life. Um, the blockchain technology, I will tell you, is amazing. Mm-hmm. The blockchain technology is very impressive. What's going to really become with of cryptocurrency? I, it's a little unclear to me, but um, the government's view is it's certainly a security. It's a reportable event if you use it to pay for something or sell it. Um, and on the return, on the 1040, on a 433 in collection, you have to disclose that you own it. Yeah, and hopefully uh, people will start realizing they need to disclose that uh, because it as already sounds like there's some cases where it's gone, gone back to criminal because they failed to report it in some instances with offers and compromise and those kind of areas. And it's just so, so important as well as one of the, one of my other education classes, they talked about the cryptocurrency and how as a tax professional on my end, that's at least something I need to be talking to my clients about because, and asking the question. In fact, that's why the question is on the 1040 is to ask it. So that's something I need to be asking you because they could be thinking, well, I just bought it and this kind of thing, or maybe they, and they may have just bought it, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's when they go to sell it, that, that, that could end up causing them problems or issues, depending how much they're selling, when they're selling it and all this kind of stuff, or if it's short-term or long-term. So we're just working at really, edu- at least I'm working to educate people, at least let them know that, you know, you got to be aware of this. And I'm sure somewhere in your stuff, you got a question about that as well. In our um, in our checklist of documents that we send out for an offer or any of that, do you have cryptocurrency? Is a yes no question. Do you have foreign assets? Is a yes no question. It can't be left blank mm-hmm. because you know there you know it's on the form. It's got to be completed. And what my concern, of course, is you know we submit it. Special agents show up in my office and say. Um, what happened here? You know, you don't know they have crypto. You know, you, you don't know they have um, 
you know, um, Bitcoin. And I want to be able to pull out and say, well, they said no. We didn't know they had Bitcoin because what clients will do later is say, well, I'm sure I told you about that. You know, try mm-hmm. to blame us. Yeah, no, 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 you didn't. Yes, yes. As they say, they'll always throw the professional under the bus. Absolutely. So that's why, uh, like, my own engagement letter is is literally like a it's almost like fine print. I mean, it's like three pages with all kind of covering foreign assets. I think it has cryptocurrency in it now too. But anyway, it's but that's why we as professionals protect ourselves, which is as and as a taxpayer, you need to disclose this stuff. Because how can we help you if you don't? Because as the summons is coming out, and I think even some of these places like Coinbase are even asking for things like social security numbers, those kind of deals now before you can cash out. Yep. Seriously. No, it's um. I suspect. I guess it'll probably become more mainstream, where they'll be doing reporting to the government on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So as we look ahead, going into twenty twenty two, what should taxpayers and even professionals be looking at, knowing that the IRS is really going to be start start chasing this, whether it be as you mentioned earlier the uh, the payroll taxes or even just general income taxes what what should action should 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 be taken now or as soon as possible um well you know if if you do have a tax issue um i would be proactive and try to get out ahead of it and deal with it before the government comes uh you know you know the problem with the problem with the automated enforcement on the one hand it's cheap for the government right the computers run it they just hit they'll hit the bank accounts they'll levy the whatever Getting that stuff undone can be very difficult. So it's a lot better off if you can get in and um, get ahead of that. Uh, If you're a non-filer, get in, get your returns prepared, right? In order to be in compliance, you only have to do the last six years. So 15 through 20, or pretty soon 16 through 21, Mm -hmm. will get you into compliance. Uh, All of the states... Almost every state has a virtual, has a, um, excuse me, voluntary disclosure program. So like Connecticut, they just changed it, made it worse. It used to be, you could come in and just do the last three past two years. Now it could be three to six years, depending. Mm. Uh, Same with New York could be three to six years. New Jersey is six years. Mass, seven if you're a resident, three if you're a non-resident. So... um, there, you know, but the point is, if you haven't filed in ten years, you probably don't have to file ten years of returns. Um, so, see a professional, get the returns prepared. You may have to reconstruct records. You might have to use estimates, which are allowed, um, and get those missing returns in and deal with the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, some of the states. It sounds like some of the states uh, have varying degrees. The IRS talk about six years, but so some states will vary from three to six, depending on the state and circumstances. Huh? Yep. Yep. No, every state has their own. Uh, my under, and I don't know, but my understanding is someone told me literally yesterday, California, there's no look limit to look back. They want everything all the way back. Mm-hmm. Well, actually I, I tend to accept that because I have a client right now who's uh, we're, of course, I'm waiting on him because he's supposed to give me some information. But anyway, they have like a, uh, boy, a, a lien from, 2000, from a 2013 return from California. Mm-hmm. That uh, So we got to go back to 13 and 
to fix that for him. And so, uh, so yeah, some States, yeah, California and then others who know, I mean, I'm not even sure what Colorado's has come to think of it. Of course, I've never had anybody have to file. <laughs> I've, I've had a pretty good clientele. So I've always kept everybody pretty, pretty current over within the last three years. So I've never had to go back too far in Colorado. So I guess that's why I've never studied it too much then. Cause I haven't had to, which is actually a good thing, I guess, the way to look at it, but certainly it's uh, very, very important to keep that up. So as we look at the uh, uh, collections and enforcement again. What does it take for something to really, I think you mentioned some of it, but what does it really take for something to go from like collections to actually criminal to the, to the officer with the badge and a gun coming in and seeing you? Cause that's what I've always told clients. Don't, don't worry about people walking in unless they're someone with a badge and a gun, then you know, you're in trouble with the IRS. Um, well, generally speaking, it's either, what well, it has to be something criminal. Right. So it's usually you submitted a false financial. So a 433 where you don't disclose everything like the virtual currency or the foreign assets. Um, It could be a non-filer that after many attempts from the IRS to get returns, they decide to make it criminal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Usually they don't just knee jerk to criminal. It's usually they have made a number of attempts to get the taxpayer to comply in the tax, because what they need to show is that it's clearly willful. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that someone hasn't filed, what if they have medical issues? What if, I mean, you know, there are reasons why people mm-hmm. may not do that. So the IRS doesn't just knee jerk to, you haven't filed for four years. It's obviously criminal. That's that, that, that it's not, they'll make an attempt to have someone contact the taxpayer, get the returns. Um, but one thing is if you have to clean up issues, you've either filed, you've either filed returns that are not on the, completely on the up and up, um, or you've left off things and mm-hmm. you need to clean that stuff up, consider voluntary disclosure with the IRS. The IRS does have a very robust voluntary disclosure mm-hmm. program where you can avoid criminal, avoid the worst of the civil fraud penalties Mm-hmm. and get into the system and clean that stuff up so you can sleep mm-hmm. at night. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the voluntary disclosure, I have done that at least one time with a client in regards to payroll taxes. Yep. And and it made it actually real. It went through, I was amazed at how simply it went through. We just filled it all out because the state, because it was actually a result of a state doing a uh, employee reclassification. But when we did, I says, well, the state did it here. So we got to do it with the IRS too, but guess what? The IRS has this available. And so we just filled it all out, paid the amount, never heard from them. Yeah. The IRS is a little more, um, they're trying to formalize it more. And so here you go through preclearance mm-hmm. because what if you're already in, under investigation, you may not want to disclose some of this stuff. So yeah. you go through preclearance, then you get, you get approved, you go in, um, now you agree to a 75% civil fraud penalty on the biggest year, but that's still a big break for, and the rationale is unless you have criminal exposure, they don't want you in the voluntary disclosure program. Um, but if you are somebody who has undocumented workers, employees off, off the books, you can't just file 941s. These people don't have ID numbers. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you do W2s, W3s? Voluntary disclosure, as you as you discovered, allows you to just clean all that up. 
you can come in and say, look, we know roughly what we paid. We know, and you can use estimates. And I've done the same thing. Had an auditor, they'll look at it. We give them the rationale, how we came up with it. They'll look at what we have. They, and they know that you're here. They know you don't have great records. And I find these things generally go through a lot faster and easier um, than us guessing filing returns and hope they don't get audited. You know, um, so it's um, no voluntary disclosure. I, I, I think for anyone listening, um, the big thing I would say 2022 should be a great year to clean things up. Mm-hmm. If you have back balances, get out ahead of it. If you haven't filed, get in and get filed. Consider voluntary disclosure. Um, and also get to a professional early mm-hmm. because, you know, some serious decisions need to be made. Should you do married filing joint or married filing separate? Mm-hmm. That depends on what the collection alternative is. You know, what, what is, what does the collection look like? You might be better off married filing separate, even though let's say the husband gets stuck with a much bigger balance, but from a collection perspective, the assets are in the wife's name. Mm-hmm. Are you in a community property state or a separate property state? So this stuff gets kind of complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it's almost more important to meet with the professional, walk through, see what your options are, and then come up with a plan and execute the plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's what I try to encourage through this program is, hey, get this stuff taken care of. Don't rely on just software to do it for you. Don't rely on the advice of your neighbor or the guy next door or the mechanic over there who are, who's out giving tax advice to you, but actually get into a professional, come into someone like myself, an enrolled agent, so that we can help you walk through these steps. Because if you're, if you're behind a few years, here's, you just made me think of another possibility with your example of how, depending on the year, you could have three, four years of back taxes, a married couple, uh, they just haven't filed for whatever reason. Anyway, maybe married filing joint each year isn't the best choice for them. Right. I mean, because they haven't filed, they can still do a married filing separate return, maybe in a year, one of those years or something. So just depends on the circumstances. You just can't jump on it and go. No, no, do not just need your married filing joint. And um, what's funny is that people always, always ask me, well, don't you think if we always did joint and now we do separate, that's going to look weird. no, Mm-mm. No, in fact, um, honestly, for those of you listening, the actual normal filing status is separate. You elect to go joint. All right. So the the fact is, do I worry about the IRS will look, you know, askance at the fact that we suddenly did married filing separate in 19 and 20? Yeah, no, maybe they do, but who cares? It's not their, it's not our problem, it's their mm-hmm. problem. Right. We're entitled to do it. Um, but but you want to th- you want to think those things through mm-hmm. because once you file joint you cannot you cannot amend to go separate mm-hmm. yes, once you file exactly. joint you're stuck mm-hmm. and so the only way out is innocent spouse and I will assure you innocent spouse is not simple to get mm, no it's not I've had to do a couple of those cases and it was definitely a challenge to walk to walk through that with the taxpayer and then of course with the IRS I got them done but it did take. It did take some time to get it done there. We certainly, oh, all these different cases. These are areas where you want to avoid and where you don't want to have someone you work for do the tax return either. Because I've had those circumstances come up and I went back and looked at it. I'm like, well, this is why we're having to file this innocent spouse claim is because of how this other person 
did this tax return and people just make conclusions. And I always tell people don't draw conclusions from what people say they can do just because they know your business or whatever. They may know your business, but they, that doesn't mean they know how to do the tax return. <laughs> so, right. Exactly. So that's what I'm just so wild and crazy about with this. Uh, but hey, Eric, you know, I really appreciate this wonderful conversation. They've been very insightful for myself and for those listening to this podcast, because there's just so much that people just don't know and they really need to know. And yes, the IRS is just going to get it. If you haven't paid your payroll taxes, that's what I always tell people. If you pay, if you don't pay anything else, pay your payroll tax. That Because yeah. <laughs> uh, they're going to come, they're going to, they're going to come for you if, uh, if you don't. And here's the other thing, I guess, is a final thought. If, and, and, you know, if you can't pay your payroll tax, if you can't pay the sales tax, there's something wrong with your business. Your, your model is not working. And that's when, you know, you go sit down with, you know, you, Marcelino, sit down and ha- get help. What is going on with my business? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the big, the bigger issue. And, and I think when you were on my podcast, we talked about this. Most taxpayers don't understand how to utilize their tax professional. Mm-hmm. They figure I'll show up in April. They do my return. Well, okay. If that's all you want, but the real benefit is, you know, to sit down with you now is a little bit too late, but you know, a month or two ago and say, you know, where are we, mm-hmm. you know, look at everything. Is there any last minute moves I can make, you know, in April, it's a postmortem. Yeah. So now it's, you know, I, you really want to actually make the best use of your tax professional during mm-hmm. the year when they can really give you advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So if anybody happens to need your services here, Eric, how do they get a hold of you? Um, I'm pretty easy to find if you Google Eric Green and tax, but um, <laughs> the law firm is Green and Sklar's LLC. It's gs-lawfirm.com. Uh, obviously, Tax Rep LLC is Tax Rep Network. That's the podcast and the coaching program. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty easy guy to find online. I'm I'm on all the you know all the major social media, yeah, you know, stuff LinkedIn, Facebook, that. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah, definitely, Eric. We certainly appreciate uh, again your insights into IRS enforcements and collections, where it's heading, and then as well as what taxpayers need to do in the importance of being proactive and then coming to see me, the enrolled agent, before they need to go see you. Not to say I want to keep business from you, but in a way, I do want to keep business from you by helping people not to have to need it. <laughs> I, I I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so if any have any questions or you want to visit with me sometime, uh, give uh, me, Marcelino Dodge, a call. It's 844-394-4287. Schedule your mutual exploration session so we can set up a tax plan for you and help you to avoid IRS collections and enforcement. That's cashtracksfinancial.com or, of course, the email success at cashtracksfinancial.com. Thanks so much for listening today to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge, enrolled agent on the Voice America Business Channel. Thank you for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. We'll be back again next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share next week.